Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. page five, the very first blessing of the morning. In last week, we primarily discussed the concept of Nathilus Yadayim, of washing your hands, um, not only purification, but elevation, pouring the water on the hands, um, and the water represents the uh, awareness, and that's why you pour three times, because you have Chachma Binadas, you have the three brains, so you have to pour the water on the hands. And we started discussing uh, blessings, so let's continue the discussing some blessings, and then, because this is something that we do, um, a hundred, we make a hundred blessings a day. This is an integral part of a Jew's life. And the rabbis of the Great Assembly instituted the, the uh, language of the blessings, and on what we make a blessings, we make a blessings on the mitzvot, this very first blessing is a blessing on the very first mitzvah we do to wash our hands. Then you make a blessing for uh, praising Hashem, and you make a blessing before you eat, before you enjoy a benefit from this world, you make a blessing. So the rabbis instituted the idea of blessings that every opportunity that we have, we stop, and we don't just take it for granted. It becomes a teaching moment. It becomes a learning experience. That everything in this world, everything that we experience, becomes a moment when we stop and reflect and and think about Hashem, so this becomes like woven into the fabric of our being. It's like you breathe constantly, so the awareness of Hashem should be constant. You know, we, that it shouldn't just be something that's automatic and unselfconscious, but we should become conscious of it. And that's the idea of a blessing. What's the difference between a blessing and prayer? And what's the difference between a blessing and modani? We started out with moda, which is to, to give thanks, to admit. And that's the first thing that we do. Then we advance and we make a bracha. A bracha is the second level, the next level, taking it to the next level. Because moda comes from faith. It's a, I have faith, I submit. The moment you wake up, you immediately acknowledge Hashem and you thank Hashem and you bow your head and you submit yourself to Hashem. Blessing, however, is taking it to the next level taking your faith and internalizing your faith. With your faith, you become conscious of your faith. It becomes something that's a force in your life. Because faith, per se, is very abstract. It, has no, it, could, it could have no impact on your life. Blessing is to reveal. To reveal that faith and to internalize it until it becomes a power in your life. And by becoming aware and by internalizing this faith, we reveal and we add a tremendous um, revelation of godliness into this world. Because everything depends on our consciousness. You know, we are the center of the universe. We say in the blessing, Baruch atah Hashem alekeinu melech ha'olam. First, God is our God. And when God is our God, then God becomes God of the world, King of the world. Because everything depends on us. Everything depends on what happens inside of us. The whole world is contained within us. We are the microcosm of the whole world. Any internal movement affects the whole entire world. So if godliness is hidden for us, we're not conscious of godliness, it remains abstract for us, then God remains hidden in this world. God is here, God is everywhere, but God is completely hidden and concealed. When godliness becomes revealed within us, it starts affecting the whole world. Abraham, the first Jew, when he experienced a tremendous revelation of godliness, he started illuminating and affecting the whole world. He made God's presence aware to the whole world. So when we reveal godliness, we add to the revelation of godliness to the world. 
But in order to add, to increase, and to add to this revelation, it's like in order for the light to reach a very distant place, you have to start out with a very powerful light. So you have to add in the source. By adding in the source, by intensifying the light at the source, then the light is able to reach very, very far. So Baruch, we are blessing Hashem. By blessing Hashem, we are adding a revelation of godliness at the source, which enables us to add and increase the revelation in this world. And that's why he says that the, the root of the source of the word bracha, baruch, comes from the word in Hebrew, hamavrich es hagefen. Mavrich means when you take a twig from a tree, while it's still attached to the tree, you bend it down. So you're lowering the twig and you bury it in the ground. So you're drawing it down. And what happens as a result? This twig grows into a new tree. And from this little twig, you get a whole tree with fruits and the whole tree. So there's an, a tremendous intensification and an increase, a blessing, an abundance. By drawing it down, we increase, we intensify. And that's the idea of a mitzvah. The mitzvah, you do the mitzvah with something physical, a physical object. But by doing the mitzvah with a physical object, you're shaking the lulav, you're shaking the yesterday, you're washing your hands, you're taking water and washing your hands. It's a physical act. But by, taking, by doing the mitzvah with the physical object, so you're drawing down the godly light into the physical, but by drawing down the light into the physical, you intensify and you increase the godly light above. And all of this happens as a result of our blessing of our awareness. And this happens when the faith, which naturally is remote and abstract to us, because every Jew has this faith, but godliness is not something that we actually see. You know, as the great Hasidic master of Levi Yitzhak Baditrev once complained, he said, he turns to Hashem, he says, you know, it's not fear. You put materialism before the naked eye. Materialism, ego, indulgence, that's natural. That's something that's obvious, self-evident to us. feels so natural. While godliness and holiness and spirituality and kindness and selflessness, that's, you put in the books. <laughs> and then you wonder why the world looks the way it looks <laughs> today. It's not fear. If you would have put godliness in front of the naked eye and you would have put selfishness and materialism in the books, then maybe it would be an equal struggle. <laughs> Instead, what do we see with the eyes? What feels totally natural to us? Indulgence, self-centeredness, self-absorption, ego, our natural selves, that feels so comfortable. Money, power, fame, that feels comfortable. Godliness, you talk about godliness, it's so abstract, it's so remote to us. The idea of a blessing is that godliness should become something as if you see it, something that's so clear to you, it's so real to you, that you can see it. It's in front of your eyes. It's a reality. It's tangible. A bracha empowers us. It gives us the ability to bring godliness, that godliness becomes so real to us, we internalize it, it becomes such a reality to us, such a force in our life, such a power, that it actually affects us. And then it becomes a blessing. Even a physical blessing. It gives us the power to bring godliness and holiness into the world. And then the world, instead of the world being so coarse and crass and egotistical, the world suddenly becomes a little more refined. Even in the world, you're able to sense a little refinement, a little godliness. You know, how can you tell the world, how do you see the world becomes refined? A baby is very comfortable in its diapers. Even if the diapers are soiled, doesn't, it's not bothered. 
when the baby is ready to graduate to the next level, suddenly it doesn't feel so comfortable anymore. It doesn't feel comfortable. When a person is so coarse, a person is so crass, that their coarseness and crassness doesn't even bother them. They wallow in their coarseness. The pig wallows in dirt and can't get enough once more. Doesn't, doesn't feel bothered by it. On the contrary. Relishes it. When a person is refined, you feel dirty, you feel soiled. I have to get cleaned up. The same is true with spirituality. When a person is so egotistical and so coarse and crass and selfish and self-centered, the whole lifestyle is totally selfish and self-centered. There's not a, an ounce of godliness, not an ounce of illumination of, of something that's beyond my nose, the tip of my nose, something that's beyond myself. I don't live my life. I didn't come into this world just to indulge and just to live for myself. I'm here on a godly mission. You forget that we are godly beings that have come into this world and have human experiences, but we're essentially godly beings. If it doesn't bother you, it's only because you're so coarse and crass that not only it doesn't bother you, but you celebrate it, and you relish it, and you're looking for even more muck and more dirt. But when you are a little refined, suddenly it starts bothering So until Avram Avinu came to this world, the world didn't even realize how coarse and crass and dark it was. It was hopelessly pagan, hopelessly idolatrous, and it wasn't even bothered. Suddenly, with the illumination of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov and the giving of the Torah, suddenly the world became a little more refined. People start sensing, you know, there's more to life than just indulgence and continuing my existence and ego and there has to be something greater than myself. So when we are refined, when our faith, when godliness becomes something that we can see, it becomes palpable for us. Something that we internalize, it becomes a force and a power in our life, which is the meaning of a bracha, elokeinu, then suddenly melech suddenly the world starts sensing. The world becomes a little more elevated. And the world, the entire world starts sensing that there is a God in this world and there's a, a godly purpose because we are the center of the universe and it all depends on us. Just like you have in the physical sense, what's the first sign of illness? <laughs> if you're not hungry, you lose your appetite, right? But the, one of the first signs of illness is if you feel yourself. A healthy person doesn't feel himself. You don't walk down the streets feeling like you're carrying a bag of bones and <laughs> if you, veins and blood. A healthy person is completely unselfconscious. A live person is light. A dead person is dead weight. A person is alive, you don't even feel yourself. You're unselfconscious. That's the sign of life. A healthy body is completely unselfconscious. A healthy body is egoless. It becomes completely inseparable and one with its soul. The moment you feel your organ or your body, it's, it's, we better call Hatzalah. It's a serious situation. The same is true spiritually. When are we considered healthy, spiritually healthy? The less egotistical we are. If our ego is so prominent, and our, I, my I and my ego, so, I feel my I so strongly, and everything is I, 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 that means I'm spiritually sick, I'm spiritually ill. There's a disconnect between my body and my soul. God is the soul of the world. We are the microcosm, and the same is true in the macrocosm. A healthy body is completely unselfconscious. You don't feel yourself. You sense the soul. You sense Hashem. And that's why we make a hundred blessings a day. Every area in our life, from the morning to the evening, from the moment we wake up until we go to sleep, there's another blessing. We're constantly sensing Hashem, our soul, the soul of the world. And when we are healthy, when the Jew is healthy, the whole world is healthy. The whole world falls into place. We know a healer, actually a Russian healer, 
She, uh, her father is Jewish, her mother is not. She's 100% not Jewish. And um, when she was, she was like an energy healer. And when she was like 20 years old, she was diagnosed with a, a fatal illness. And Western medicine couldn't help her. So she traveled to India. And she met all, and she was cured. She was able, and she became an energy healer, and she, you know, she has, she has a whole following. And she goes to Jerusalem twice a year. She says, the energy in Jerusalem, there's no place on earth like Jerusalem. So the energy there is like, she, she's an energy person, so she's sensitive. She's very sensitive to energy. And she tells all the Jewish friends, I don't get it. I'm not Jewish. My father's Jewish, but I'm not Jewish. I'm 100% not Jewish. You are 100% Jewish. Your mothers are Jewish. He says, I don't understand why you're not proud of your Jewishness, why you're not living your Jewishness. He says, when I was in India, don't forget, Jews were cut off from the Orient. You know, our history didn't happen in the Orient. Our whole history happened in the West, not in the East. And I heard from my gurus, my masters. They told me that they had a tradition going back from their ancestors all the way to the beginning. Hinduism and Buddhism and Zen, the whole thing. And they were taught that the world will never be whole until the Jewish people get their act together. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's what the Indians who never met Jews hundreds of years, this is what they received, the tradition. They know this truth. So when Hashem is Elokeinu, if we are making the hundred blessings a day, if Hashem is Elokeinu, if Hashem is a reality for us, and we are spiritually healthy, and the more egoless we are, and the more, and the more alive and vibrant we are, the whole world becomes healthy. The world becomes less egotistical. Godliness becomes more palpable. Godliness becomes more overt, more revealed. And the world becomes blessed. When godliness is revealed, there's no blockages. Then the world becomes a conduit for all Hashem's blessings. God wants to give. God wants to, loves to give. He loves everything should be in abundance. But we interfere. It's called static. The ego is static. The ego blocks all the blessings. It just doesn't allow the blessings to flow. The more egotistical we are, the more rigid we are, the blessings simply stop flowing. It just, it just can't. The less egotistical we are, the more egoless we are, the blessings just flow. That's why it's the tzaddik who has the ability to give the blessing. Because the tzaddik is someone who's completely egoless. So he's a conduit for all Hashem's blessing. He can draw down the blessings. He can reveal the blessings. And he can create that abundance of life and health and blessings because he's so plugged in and so connected. So the Jewish people were given the mission to bless the world. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. But first we have to bless. When we bless Hashem and we make the hundred blessings and we are blessed, then the whole world becomes blessed. Talmud says that non-Jews knew the power of the blessings that are drawn from the Holy Temple to the whole entire world. They would surround the temple and not allow the enemies to destroy the temple. Because that is the source of all blessings. The holier, the more connected, the more transparent, the more revealed Hashem is, all the blessings flow. The more conscious we are of Hashem, all the blessings flow. When there's a blockage, it interferes, it's static, it doesn't allow the blessings to flow. So this is, in general, the concept of a blessing. Let's now get into the specifics of the blessings. That's where we left off last week, but let's get into the specific of the blessings. Let's interpret every word of the blessing. First, let's read the blessing, and then we'll try to translate the meaning of every word in the blessing. At page five, the very first blessing that we make, Okay, uh, Hanshis, translate. Blessed are you, what a God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the washing of the hands. Okay, so firstly, just the, the technical, where did God command us in the Torah we should wash our hands? 
You won't, he, you won't, he didn't. You won't find it in the Torah. No. It's not one of the 613 mitzvot. It's not biblical. So how can we make a blessing that blessed are you God who commanded us with your commandments to wash your hands? And this is true of all the rabbinic mitzvot. How do we make a blessing in a rabbinic mitzvah when God never commanded us? You're talking to God. Blessed are you. How can you face God and say, blessed are you who commanded us to do the mitzvah, this mitzvah, this particular mitzvah? So the rabbis say, because it says in the Torah, there's a positive mitzvah and there's a prohibition. It says you should follow whatever the rabbis tell you, because the rabbis are judges and legislators, not in the, in the sense, in the United States, a judge, at least this is the way it was meant to be. <laughs> Today's judges are trying to legislate. A judge was never meant to legislate. That was not the intention of the founding fathers. A judge is just there to interpret the law, not to make law. You want to pass law, there's a legislator, and you have to get a majority vote, and you need the majority to pass the law. A judge is just there to interpret the law not to legislate from the bench. The Jewish legislators, however, are different. The Jewish Supreme Court, they were legislators as well. They weren't just judges, they were legislators. God empowered them. He gave them the ability. In order to protect the mitzvot, He gave them the ability to make, to make protections around the mitzvot. He gave them the ability to make enactments. And they're binding. They're biblically binding. The Torah says biblically, Hashem is commanding us. I want you to listen to what the rabbis legislate. They have my authority to do that. So when we say, thank you Hashem for commanding me, we're telling the truth. This is a, we're fulfilling a biblical commandment by doing this rabbinic commandment of washing our hands. We are fulfilling a biblical commandment to listen to the rabbis. Okay. Also, why certain mitzvot certain blessings we make the blessing and certain mitzvot we make the blessing to sit in the sukkah what did God say listen to the rabbis in the Torah in, in Deuteronomy it's one of the 613 mitzvot so the certain mitzvot certain blessings we say al, and certain mitzvot we say to put on tefillin Certain blessings, like here we say, we thank Hashem for commanding us on the idea of washing your hands. You don't say to wash your hands. You say, commanded us concerning the washing of the hands. Alhamdulillah, concerning the commandment you gave us to circumcise our child. You don't say lamul, to wash your hands. Certain mitzvahs is this way and certain mitzvahs that way. And this is something that's discussed in the Talmud and all the rabbis discuss it. Rashi, Rashi in his pardis says something very clear and very simple. He says there's a, there's a difference. Whenever there's a mitzvah that the commandment is for you to do it yourself and you are irreplaceable, you can't make an agent to do it for you. Then the Torah says the blessing is, is formulated. The mitzvah is that you should do it. Like Lodniach Tfilin, you have to put on the tfilin. The mitzvah is to put on the tfilin. So you have to put on the tfilin. No one could do that for you. You can't make an agent. Some things you can't make an agent to do for you. You can't make an agent to eat for you. <laughs> you we would love to <laughs> hire someone to eat for us, right? Some things you have to do yourself in person. To sit in the sukkah, you can't make an agent to appoint an agent to sit for you in the sukkah. Even the rabbi can do that for you. You have to do it yourself. So any mitzvah where the action is something that you have to do yourself, so the, the, the form, f- formula of the blessing is, you commanded me to sit in the sukkah, to put on the tefillah. Any mitzvah that someone else could do for you, washing your hands, someone could wash it for you, you don't have to do it yourself. If someone else washes, pours the water for you, that's fine. The deed gets done. Someone puts the head filling on for you, it's fine. Al mitzvah still in it. The deed is done. I don't have to do it myself. But where the mitzvah is for you to do it in person, then the formula is al. Okay. That's the technical aspect. But now let's get to the blessing. And the majority of the blessing is the same wording that we use on all 100 blessings. Starting with Baruch Atta, blessed are you. Judaism is very personal. We talk to God face to face. 
There are no intermediaries. We talk to Hashem. Every one of us talks to Hashem personally, intimately and directly. And it's, it's so fascinating and ironic that the different levels of godliness that are discussed, like God fills all the world, God transcends all the worlds, those levels are actually very remote to us. Those levels are not revealed to us. God's transcendent self is infinite self. Most people don't know what you're talking about. Infinity, they can't relate to it. It's not a reality in their life. They don't know what, what it means. It's not something they're thinking about. Surely, God is transcendent. He's all over, he's all around me, but it completely transcends me, transcends my awareness, transcends my whole frame of reference. I can't relate to it. It's beyond me. Even God filling all the world. So even though I feel the energy, I feel the life force, but I don't make a godly connection. We all feel that we're alive, but we don't sense the, the, the divinity of it, how godly it is, how mysterious it is, how miraculous it is. Were we to feel the miracle of life after work, instead of building stadiums, to see overgrown adults hitting balls with sticks, they would build stadiums around the maternity ward. People would go and watch the wonder, the miracle of creation. In, in real life, in real time, it's a miracle of miracle, wonder of wonders. So we don't make a connection. We feel alive, we feel the energy, but we don't realize life, energy. Where does life come from? It's not a mechanical event. All the, all the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly. Life comes from within. Life is divine. Life is godly. So we see it, we're looking at it, we're staring at it, and we're completely oblivious to the reality and the truth of Hashem. But it's the essence of God, which is even beyond God's projection or God being transcendent or God's infinity, the very core and essence of God, that's something that everyone relates to. That's totally revealed. It's not hidden at all. There's no concealment. It's not even possible for it to be concealed. You know, the Barshamta would go around stopping every Jew and asking him, how are you doing? How's your life? How's your health? How's your wife? How are the children? Because he wanted to elicit their response. What's the universal Jewish response? Baruch Hashem. Thank you, God. How is your, how's your business going? Baruch Hashem, not good. But <laughs> 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 well, Baruch Hashem, thank God. Everything is thank God. I'm not talking religion here. I'm not talking theology. It's a Wednesday afternoon. I'm asking you how your health is. What are you mixing God into this? <laughs> but God has to do with everything. It, it's so simple. It's so self-evident. It's so obvious. It's not, it's not something that's based on deep philosophy and deep meditation and deep mysticism. Very few people are, are, could connect to mysticism. Very few people. It goes over the head of 95% of the populace. So even people who are not mystics and people who are not philosophers, every man, woman, and child knows it with every fiber of their being and every bone in their body. Baruch Hashem. God is everything. What do you mean? You write a letter. On the top of the letter, you write, Hashem is with the help of Hashem. Whatever you're doing, you're bringing Hashem into it. It permeates everything. It's not something that I had to think deeply about. I had to reflect and meditate and learn and study. Even simple, unlettered, uneducated people, the simplest to the greatest. It's universal. Baruch Hashem. Thank God. God is everything. Because it's God's essence. God's essence is to, it cannot be concealed. There's no symptom, there's no hiding. So it's the very core and essence of God which is beyond even the transcendent, the projection of Hashem, Hashem's infinite, infinite projection. That core and essence is totally fully revealed. Everyone knows it. Everyone feels it. So Baruch Atta, Atta is you, the essence of Hashem. And it's the very essence of Hashem that we can talk directly face to face. God is right here. Not in heaven and not in the heaven of heavens and not in the mystical worlds and not in the angelic worlds in the higher levels of consciousness. God is right here. Right in front of me. The very essence of God is literally 
person to person. Direct. Fully here, present. And we say, Baruch Atta. We want that the essence of God should be revealed. That we should experience and realize that the essence of God is totally, totally revealed to us. So many people go, go through their lives and they're not thinking about Hashem. They're so busy and caught up. Business, their careers, their lives. That they don't even stop and think for a moment about Hashem. But a Jew says, no, Baruch Atah. Hashem, I want the essence of Hashem to be totally revealed to me. I want to acknowledge. I want to embrace it, affirm it. And we feel intimate. Baruch Atah. We feel intimate with Hashem. It's person to person. It's a very, it's a personal relationship. And then we say, Hashem, it says in the code of Jewish law, when you say Hashem, when it's written like here, it's written Yud Yud. Depends how it's written. When it's written Yud Yud means it's like Hashem's name the way it's written, Yud Ke Vav Ke. Even though we don't pronounce it that way. We're not allowed to pronounce Hashem's name the way it's written. Until Mashiach comes. Right now we can only pronounce it like Adnai. So when it's written Yudke Vavke, we have to have in mind Yudke Vavke means that God is past, present, and future together. And God has no origin, no beginning, and that's why He's the creator. That's why He creates everything. Because He's beyond time and beyond space, and there's no past, present, and future. It's all one Tashem. And when you say Adna, you have to think that God is the master of the universe. Not only God is the creator of the universe and the origin, of my existence and everything that exists, but God is the master. He runs this world. Not only He created the world and then it's on automatic pilot, God forbid, but God is personally involved in every single tiny detail in our lives and in this world. Everything that happens is for a reason, has meaning, has significance, because if God bothered to create this detail, Obviously, it must be so significant because God is so great and so transcendent and if He, so to speak, is bothering to create this tiny detail, it's not tiny and there's nothing insignificant about it. It's a very significant detail. If the name of Hashem is written, not Yudke Vavke, then you only have to have in mind this concept, the idea that God runs this world. He's a master of the world. He runs the world. Not unlike the body and the soul. The body doesn't make a movement without the soul. What's the body without a soul? Dead, the corpse. Piece of clay. You make the slightest movement, who's moving? Your body is moving. It's your soul that's moving. Your body doesn't move, it's the soul that's moving the body. The body in its own doesn't make the slightest movement. So when you realize that anything that happens in this world, anything that happens in my life, whether it's in business or health, anything, Hashem is doing everything. Nothing happens without Hashem. Of course, if you have a problem, you have to go to the doctor. You have to speak to the financial consultant. But ultimately, first and foremost, you got to pray to the boss. Nothing happens without Hashem. The slightest movement in this world doesn't happen. Hashem runs this world. Not only God is sitting in heaven, He created the world, and then God forbid the world is on automatic pilot. That's idolatry. If you really understand and believe in God, God is the master. He runs this world. In God we trust. God, is, God is, runs everything. Everything is divine providence. You should hear. It's worthwhile. Go to hear uh, George Washington's inaugural speech. When the seat of the presidency was right here, across from, across from the stock exchange, right? In Wall Street. They have, it's a museum today. And you go and you hear his speech. And what does he talk about? the divine providence, the open divine providence, the hand of providence, which led to the establishment of the great United States of America. It was so obvious and open. This is God runs this world. Not only God sits in the heaven of heavens, He creates the world. God runs this world. He's the master. So when you say these names in every blessing, you have to have this in mind. You're saying something specific. You're not just redundant. Hashem, Elokein. 
And when you say Elokeinu, you're saying that God could do anything. God has the ability to do as He pleases, whatever He wants to do. But we say Elokeinu, it's fascinating. There's no one in the universe that can say Elokeinu, my God. The only ones in the universe that can say Elokeinu, angels can say Elokeinu, are the Jewish people. Of course, you can say, you can choose God. But that doesn't make God your God. Elokeinu is because God says, I am your God. You look at the first 2,000 years of history. Adam, Noah, God doesn't call them, doesn't, God doesn't say, I'm not your God. No creature, no angel can say, God is my God. I belong to you. But God says about Avraham, Elokei Avraham, I am the God of Abraham. He says about Yitzchak, Elokei Yitzchak, God says, I am the God of Isaac. Elokei Yaakov, God says, I am the God. These are God's words. I am the God of Jacob. Elokei Ivrim, I am the God of the Hebrews. In the Ten Commandments, God says, to every Jew, individually and personally. And this is the, the revolution of Mount Sinai. God says, I am your God. I am the God of the Jewish people. What a concept. <laughs> what God should say that I choose the Jewish people and I am your God. He doesn't say that about anyone or anything in the universe. He says it uniquely and exclusively to the Jewish people. I am your God. Elokeinu. So we can say, God is my personal God. Elokeinu. He's the God of the Jew. God of the Hebrew. The God of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And Alter Rebbe writes, right before he passed away, he said he had a dream. Because he had a question. You know, there are many names of God. Why of all the names of God, only the name Elokeinu, could we say Elokeinu, my God? None of the other names. This is the only name of God which we personalize and we say, God is my God, Elokeinu. You can't say that about the name Yudke Vavke or any of the other names of Hashem. So he said in the dream, he received the answer. It's very unusual how he writes this, that he received in the dream. He said it, that he received in the dream. Because the idea of Elokim means to tzimtzum, to concentrate himself. But you have two types of tzimtzum. You have a tzimtzum where God conceals himself. God is hidden. But you have another concept of tzimtzum where God concentrates himself. Without diluting himself. Usually tzimtzum is he dilutes himself. He dilutes it until we're able to receive it. So it has to be diluted and has to go through infinite amount of tzimtzumim and limitations and reductions and screenings until we're able to receive a glimmer of a ray and even that's too much for us to handle. But, the, but you have another idea of Elohim that God concentrates himself without diluting himself one iota. That God has the infinite ability or the ability, the paradoxical ability, the impossible He's able to do the impossible. And that's what the name Elohim, it says in the Code of Jewish Law, when you think Elohim, you have to think that God could do the impossible. What does he, how, where do you see he's doing the impossible? That he's able to concentrate his core and essence and create a personal relationship with us. That's what we say in the Ten Commandments. Anoichi, who, I, who am I? It's beyond words and descriptions and letters and can't even be hinted at. I, who am I? Hashem Elokecha. I am your life force. I am your personal God. A Jew doesn't operate under the laws of nature. Everyone in the universe and everything in the universe operates under the laws of nature. God says, the Jewish people, you're mine. You're directly connected to me. Even your natural life, your physical life, everything about you is connected to my core and essence. 
You have no connection to the laws of nature. I am your personal God. Everything in your life, the physical, the material, the natural, your daily life, everything is connected to a noichi I who am I. Because God could do the impossible. He can concentrate his essence, his whole essence, without any dilution. He can concentrate it in a way that he can have a personal relationship with us. That he can marry us. Okay. And what a, an inspiring concept. And what a powerful concept. Elohim means power. What a powerful concept. To realize what God has done. That he has chosen the Jewish people. And he says, I am your God. He doesn't say that about anything or anything in the universe. Only exclusively. Elohim. I am your God. So a Jew can say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, God is our God, the God of the Jews. And that's the universal God. In order to truly have a connection with God, it must go through the Jewish people. As Maimonides says, when is a non-Jew considered a righteous Gentile? If he keeps the seven Noahide laws, because it was commanded through Moshe at Sinai. Because it was through the Jewish people. If he's connected through the Jewish people, then he's connected to God. If he's on his own, he has no connection with the Jewish people, God says, I don't know this person. Elokim. It's a very powerful concept. Elokim means force, strength. This is Hashem doing the impossible. That he concentrated his whole essence and created a personal and intimate relationship and married the Jewish people. Chose the Jewish people to be his marriage partner. And that's unique. And that's exclusive. And that's very special. And then we continue. Once again, we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> Gets better and better. Melech King of the world. Wow. Talmud says, why was Adam created alone? Everything that God created, He created in peers. Man was created single, alone. To teach us that each and every one of us has to view themselves like Adam, as if we are alone, as if we are the only person on earth. And what was Adam's original sin, the first sin which was so devastating and so tragic, with such tragic consequences that we're still suffering from until this very moment, until Mashiach comes? What was his sin? What did he do already? He didn't rape. He didn't murder. He ate. He ate a, he ate a fruit. It wasn't an apple, but he ate a fruit. Whether it was a, a fig, whatever it was, he ate. Grape, a fruit, fruit. What's so terrible? But you know why it was so devastating? Because God said, I want to be a king. Why did God create the world? What did God want? What does he need this world for? What's he missing? What's he lacking? He doesn't need anything. God is perfect. But God wanted to be a king. He desired to be a king. He wanted to get married. God was single. He was perfect. Even if you're perfect, you can't marry yourself. Even God can't marry himself. <laughs> By definition. You're only married if another adult willingly chooses to marry you. Then you become married. A king, you can't coronate yourself as king. Robinson Crusoe is going to crown himself. <laughs> Create all ceremony. I am king. It doesn't work. You only become a king when someone outside of you, a subject, willingly accepts you and coronates you as their king. If you tell your arm to move and your arm moves, it doesn't make you a king. But if I tell someone else to move their hand and they move, that makes me a king. <laughs> he subjects himself to me that I become a king. I'm his king. So we don't know why, but we know what. We know that this is what God desired. He wanted to be a king. So what happened when Adam didn't listen to Hashem? A little detail. Hashem said, don't eat. And he ate. What happened? What he did was he demoted God from being king. 
God said, I'm not a king. If you don't listen to me, I'm not a king. What kind of king am I? <laughs> I commanded you to do. I'm ordering you to do something or not to do something. And you, you, you don't listen. You do whatever you want. But if you do what you want, I'm not a king. So Adam single-handedly demoted God from being king of the universe. And that's why the whole universe was degraded. From the highest level to the lowest level. The whole universe, single-handedly, by this one act, he single-handedly demoted the whole universe. How much more so in the positive? When we do what Hashem wants, we single-handedly anoint God as king of the whole universe. And that's why it says God is waiting, so to speak, with bated breath. He's standing in front of every, every Jew. Baruch Atad. And he's waiting with bated breath because his fate is in our hands. God is a gambler. He put his destiny in our hands. We have freedom of choice. God wants to know. Am I king? Am I not king? It's up to you. If you're going to do the mitzvah, if you're going to do what I asked you to do, you, single-handedly, with this single good deed, you are making me not only king of the whole entire universe, but if I'm asking you to do something and you don't do it, you single-handedly demoted me from being Melech HaOlam, from king of the universe. What, what a concept. I mean, every word of the blessing is enough to make you jump out of your chair, jump out of your seat. We are anointing God as king of the universe. Single-handedly, personally. That's how important. How could a Jew feel insecure? I'm nothing, I'm insignificant, I'm a nobody. Nobody insignificant. The whole universe, God's faith himself is in your hands. And your simple deed, you're going to wash your hands. You did this mitzvah. By you doing this mitzvah, Melech HaOlam, you just coronated God, king of the whole universe. You elevated the whole universe. You affected God himself. Then he says, Asher you sanctified us. The mitzvah through your mitzvah. Because what is a mitzvah? What's the root word of the word mitzvah? The word mitzvah literally means commandment. You commanded us. You commanded us. But what's the root of the word mitzvah? In Hebrew, tzevet, connection. And these two Meanings go hand in hand. Yes, it means literally commandment. But through the commandment, you create a connection. And the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe gives a beautiful analogy. And just to modernize it a little, he says, imagine Einstein is living in your building, right? And you're living 30 years in the same building. He never said hello to you once. Not because he's... He's not a nice, kind person. He's just, you don't exist in his universe. Unless you can discuss with him E equals MC, unless you can discuss with him the deepest levels of physics, I mean, you simply don't exist in his universe. And you come home tonight, and you hear a message. Says, uh, Dr. J, please do me, Rabbi, please do me a favor. I'm working on my unified theory. I'm thirsty. Please get me uh, some water or something. <laughs> you would run to every bodega and every Korean grocery store that's open, and you would find them a cup of Perrier, a glass of Perrier. And you, know, you would be telling your children and your grandchildren you know, your experience with Einstein. You know, in America, you probably publish a book and make a movie, Einstein and I. <laughs> My experience with Einstein. I, what exactly happened here? Why, 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 you get, why did you get so excited? What's the big deal? He asked you for a cup of water, something very simple. You don't understand. I didn't exist in Einstein's universe. You know, in the world of intellect, the sense of touch doesn't exist. It means nothing. You can't touch an idea. You can't touch a concept. Oh, it's such a deep concept, I couldn't touch it. I mean, there's no relationship, there's no connection with the sense of touch and the, idea, the world of ideas. So Einstein, whose whole being is his mind, you know, common people, we simply don't exist in his universe. All of a sudden, he knows me, my personal name. And he turns to me, 
and he asks me to do something for him, I can do something for him. That creates a connection. That request creates a connection. Multiply that infinite times the distance between God and us. You can meditate for a thousand years without any interruption. You could be sublime and spiritual and high levels of consciousness, the, the greatest angel. There's an infinite gap between us and Hashem. There's nothing we can do to get one iota closer to Hashem. A million, a trillion, a zillion is not one iota closer to Hashem than one. A zero. There's no relationship. There's no connection. So how do we connect with Hashem? We can't. There's no way in the world, not through poetry, not through religion, and not through spirituality. That's, that's, the, that's the problem with all religions and mysticisms. As it doesn't get us any closer with Hashem. So how do we connect with Hashem? There's only one way. When Hashem commu- communicates and commands us, Hashem turns to us. I am your God. He's speaking. The Ten Commandments were given in the singular. He's speaking to each and every, every one of us. We all stood at Sinai. Yankel, Beryl, Shmerel, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Aleya, here on the Upper East Side, 2019. Please do me a favor. Do this mitzvah. Not only one mitzvah. 630 mitzvahs. Does it matter what God is asking us to do? If he would have asked us to chop wood, we would do it with the same relish and enthusiasm. What's the difference? God is asking me to do something for him. That commandment creates a connection. So he sanctifies us. Through his commandments, he sanctifies us. He elevates us. He lifts us. He connects us with himself. We become plugged in and connected to eternity. It's because we did the mitzvot. This is what kept us eternal. That's why we are the eternal people. Because through the mitzvot, our ancestors, every Jew that's alive today, all 14 million without a single exception, Michael Bloomberg, his mother, kept the kosher kitchen. And her parents kept the kosher kitchen, going all the way back to Sinai without any interruption. Because those Jews that didn't disappeared. There's no fourth generation Fifth generation reform doesn't exist. Every Jew that's alive today is because our ancestors for thousands of years through thick and thin fire and water kept the mitzvot. When we do a mitzvah, we are sanctified. We become plugged in with the holiness of Hashem. We become eternal. We become connected to something that transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. And Kiddushan al Rebbe says comes from the root word Kiddushan, it's a marriage. We become intimate with Hashem. We're married to Hashem. When we do the mitzvah, when we physically do the mitzvah, we become married to Hashem, connected with Hashem. Hashem sanctifies us. And asher comes from the word praise, like ashrei. <coughs> Praised. It's the ultimate praise, the ultimate pleasure. Because when we do a mitzvah, we're doing the will of Hashem. But we also have the pleasure of Hashem. It gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more praiseworthy than a mitzvah. The ability that we have to, through the mitzvah to connect with the deepest pleasure of Hashem. And that's the reason why God created the whole world. Because He wanted us to do the mitzvah. This is what gives Him pleasure. This is the whole purpose of creation. Everything in creation is just a means to an end. Just like in our personal lives, you work, you do a lot of things. But most of the things that we do in life, that's not really our pleasure. It's a means to an end. You work because you want money. Why do you want money? You want money, everyone has different reasons. Some is to have the status, to be wealthy. Some is in order they should be able to do what they need to do, what they want to do. It's the pleasure that really drives. So you have to look at the inner motivation, not externally. You can spend most of your life doing something, but that's just external. That's just superficial. That's the means to the end. But what's driving you? Your drive is what motivates you. And the reason you're doing all of this is because you want to get to the, to the point. What is the point behind all of this? That's the pleasure. Why did God create the world? God created the whole universe. And angels and higher levels of consciousness and universes. And it's all, but it's all external. What's the point? What's driving this all? 
Why did God create the world? What did he want? What's he looking for? What gives him pleasure? It's when you do the mitzvah. When a Jew does the mitzvah, this is what gives him pleasure. This is what justifies all of existence. So when you're doing the mitzvah, you're tapping into the deepest pleasure of Hashem. Even if you don't feel it, but it's there. Even if I can't experience it, but it's there. The Zohar calls the mitzvah the limbs of Hashem. But just like a limb, when you t- grab someone by the arm and you pull him by the arm, what do you get? You just get this arm? No. You got the whole person. By schlepping the arm, you schlep the whole person. So when you do one mitzvah, you're getting Hashem Himself. You're getting everything. Hashem Himself. Every, everything. So not only are you getting the will of Hashem, you're getting the pleasure of Hashem. It's all contained in the mitzvah. So we're getting this tremendous pleasure and sanctity and holiness by doing a mitzvah. Imagine any mitzvah that we do. Even something as simple as washing our hands in the morning. We are tapping into and touching the deepest pleasure of Hashem. Hashem is sanctifying us through the mitzvah. We are connecting with Hashem, with the essence of Hashem. And then we say the specific blessing, whatever, whatever the mitzvah is. In this case, al for, for washing your hands. And this is a privilege that the Jewish people were given. Angels cannot perform mitzvah. As spiritual as angels are, they don't have the power to perform a mitzvah. They do a mitzvah, it's flat. Nothing happens. Only a Jew is given that ability. By doing a mitzvah, we can draw down God's holiness into this world. We can draw Hashem down into this world. We, can, we make the mitzvah. It's when the Jew does the mitzvah. That's what we say, Al. Al Natilas Yadayim. Alter Rebbe says, like, we're on top of it. It's only when the Jew does the mitzvah, when the Jew washes his hands, then it becomes a mitzvah. Then we're doing something holy. We're drawing holiness into this world. An angel can't do that. doesn't have the power. doesn't have that ability. The Jew is given the ability to sanctify the mitzvah, to draw godliness into the physical, into this world, and draw down the essence of Hashem. So mitzvot, are what give life. That's the difference between Torah and mitzvot and most and human law and a human way of life. A human way of life, first you start out with life and then smart men, smart women come together and try to figure out, okay, what's the best way to live? What's the best philosophy? How to live a wholesome life, a productive life, a rewarding life. And you have all different people come up with all different philosophies and belief systems. So first comes life, and then comes rules and laws in order to live the best life possible for the individual as well as for the community. Mitzvot, however, Torah mitzvot are called a Torah of life. These mitzvot give life. You start out with the mitzvah, and it's the mitzvah that gives us life. When we do the mitzvah, we are alive. This is what gives us life. This is our life. It's the mitzvah that gives us the life. It gives us a godly life. It gives us a connection to Hashem. A personal relationship. It elevates us. It plugs us in to eternal life. So it's the mitzvah that gives us life. So we don't look at mitzvah as burdens, obligations, rituals, customs. It's the mitzvah that actually makes us come alive and gives us long life and gives us blessings. This is a blessing. Draws down all the blessings. So we look at the mitzvah as a blessing. We're thanking Hashem for giving us this opportunity to anoint Him as King, to be able to call God our God, to be able to do the mitzvah and to draw down holiness. To be able to become intimate with God and connected with Hashem by doing this 
mitzvah. The simple act, the simple mitzvah, physical deed, has the power to accomplish all of this. So we're so grateful and we're so thankful that we don't just do the mitzvah, we stop and we make a blessing first. And we experience the joy of the mitzvah and the pleasure and the gift and the privilege. And we can't thank Hashem enough for giving us this opportunity. And we bless Hashem at least a hundred times throughout the day. And when we are conscious of Hashem and Hashem becomes a conscious reality for us, then the whole world becomes blessed. The whole world becomes <coughs> elevated. The world becomes a receptacle. It's able to receive Hashem's abundant flow of divine blessings, material blessings. And then our lives becomes rewarding and rich and meaningful and purposeful and alive on every level. Physically, materially, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, on every level. So this is the tip of the iceberg, what a blessing is. <laughs> Just some, some taste of what a blessing is. And um, that's why we try to say a blessing. To say a blessing without awareness almost is counterproductive. It defeats the whole purpose of what a blessing is. The whole purpose of a blessing is to reveal that it's become conscious, that we're conscious beings, not just to go through the motions. So to make a blessing, going through the motions, just making a blessing, it's like defeats the whole purpose. The whole purpose of a blessing is not to do the mitzvah technically and mechanically and by rote and just do a dry, oh, I did the mitzvah, okay, goodbye, good riddance. Let, let me now go back to my life and let me, you know, I took care of this obligation, I crossed off the box and, okay. The whole purpose of a blessing is that we should do the mitzvah consciously, with awareness, with, with focus, with concentration. It should become alive to us. It should be revealed. We should internalize the mitzvah and be grateful and thankful and do it joyfully. And when, the, when we come alive, when the mitzvah comes alive, then godliness becomes alive, not only for us, but to the whole entire world. So everything really depends on us. The fate of the world, of the universe, is literally in each and every one of us, in our hands. And the fate of Hashem is in our hands. What an awesome privilege, what an awesome responsibility. So next week we'll discuss the second blessing. Every blessing, there's so much, uh, so much here. The fact that we say it every day, because there's so much. And it's meaningful every day, you know. The previous Lubavitcher he described when his father would say the blessings in the morning, just listening to the way he made the blessings, these blessings were enough to make you into a God-fearing Jew. It was enough to really get to you because it was so real. He wasn't just going through the motions. It was alive. Every word meant something. You know, he felt it, he experienced it, he lived it, and it was real. It was, it was natural, it was real. So at least we can attempt when we say the blessings in the morning, to capture some of that, some of this, to make it relevant to us, make it come alive for us personally. And each and every blessing, there's so much wisdom. These were instituted by the rabbis of the Great Assembly 2,300 years ago. Each and every word and each and every letter, there's so much meaning, so much depth. Literally, we're discussing here, if you read the commentaries, it's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. It was so real. So all we're trying to do is just to get a little glimpse, a little taste, a little uh, at, uh, to impress on us how, how real this is, how relevant it is, and how, how powerful it is. We really pay attention. Can you go over the rules about when we can say Adonai or when we have to say Hashem? Yes. So firstly, you always say Hashem unless you're actually making a blessing. Hashem is the name. But you're not allowed to say Hashem's name unless you're actually making a blessing, unless you're actually fulfilling a mitzvah. To say Hashem's name in vain is a very serious thing. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't say Hashem's name in vain. Um, it's a very serious thing. That's why we find in halacha, 
whenever you're in doubt, sometimes there's an argument, there's a discussion, you're in doubt. Should I make a blessing or shouldn't I make a blessing? So you would think, let me be strict. I'll be strict. I'll say a blessing. Why not play it safe? The answer is you're not allowed to make a blessing. Unless you're certain that you have to make a blessing, you're not allowed to make a blessing because if you would make a blessing, you're saying God's name in vain. So when you're in doubt, you're not allowed to say Hashem's name. It's, when you say Hashem's name, you're saying Hashem's name. Especially the name Hashem, which represents God's personal name. And, you know, you, you tremble when you say Hashem's name. You can't just say Hashem's name lightly. When the Alter Rebbe would say, Atzilut, the world of the divine emanation, he couldn't even finish the word. Well, he would write it. He couldn't, he couldn't even write the whole thing. He would say, he would just write uh, the first letters, Aleph Tzadik Yud, Atzi. He was like trembling. You're talking about the divine. You say God's name, you know, it's, it's, it's like a chill should run, run down your back. You're talking to Hashem, Baruch Atta Hashem, you're talking to Hashem directly. It's not something you do casually. So whenever, unless you're certain that you're obligated to make a blessing, you don't say God's name. You say Hashem, the name. You don't say God's name in, in vain. Very careful. And a comment regarding. Sure. It says in the end of the Musaf, for example, Enke Eloheinu, Enke Adoneinu, Malkinu, Mishenu. So we even refer to Hashem in different words. Many, many words, right. Um, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. We'll discuss all, the, all these details. A lot, of, a lot to say about that uh, particular prayer. Yes. And there are many praises. And the Talmud says we don't praise Hashem more than Moshe praised Him. Because if you're trying to, well, you want to elaborate more. You can elaborate more, you're only minimizing. Because no matter all the praises in the world, you're not even scratching the surface. So just limit it to the praises that are found in the Torah. And that's why, even though prayer is something that comes from the bottom up, it's our language, it's human language, we're reaching out to Hashem, the rabbis of the Great Assembly chose most of the language of prayer come from the Tanakh, from the Bible. It's almost all of it quotes from the 24 books of the Tanakh. Because to use your own words, you know, when you're praising Hashem, excess, if you're excessive, it's actually insulting. Because you think, oh, what the rabbis say is not enough. I'm going to add. Okay. But what you're adding is even more insulting. Because Hashem is infinite. So no matter what you're adding, you're not really even scratching the surface of Hashem's greatness. So just concentrate on the wordings of the rabbi, which are based on, firstly, they were all by divine inspiration, by prophecy, and they're based, and they're all based on Kabbalah and mysticism, they're all very precise, and it's based on the words of Hashem, the words of the Tanakh, the words of the prophets and the writings. So these words are very powerful words. So they're chosen, they're chosen for a reason. So, so every, the choice of words is very precise. It's not just random. To be continued.